and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. It is the first weekend where all four games in the National Football League were decided on the final play in NFL playoff history. They were all different. They were all real. And yes, they were all spectacular. This may have been better than sex. Whoa. I can tell you this. I was awake for a lot longer after the football games. TMI, okay, I get it, I understand. But I'm excited to talk about it all. And no need about worrying. Well, Calling your doctor or my doctor, we're not on for four hours. Uh, is Tom Brady, is Aaron Rodgers, either of them, going to retire? Does the NFL need to change their overtime rules? Why didn't the Bills squib kick it? 13 bloody seconds we will get to as much as we possibly can in the first hour with First Things First and our Monday afternoon quarterback, Rich Gannon, and trust, we will get to the Oilers snapping their seven games slide in the Battle of Alberta. The Leafs not only holding on to a 3-1 lead, but winning 3-1 with Peter Morazic in net and the Canucks trying to find a way despite losing goalies like they're my keys or my phone or my wallet. Or my pass card. Yeah, pass card. I'm bad. pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty bad at all. We'll also get to Felix and add a chapeau at the Aussie Open and one of the more bizarre Raptor games you will ever see. So much to get to. So let's kick off the festivities like we always do with First Things First. But before we do, I would just like to say, if, if you have a Bills fan in the family or as a friend, please do something nice for them today. I mean, Buffalo... Orchard Park. I don't want this to sound condescending. I have Leaf fans in the family. I understand the pain that you're going through. Chictawaga, Depew, Kenmore, Tonawanda, North Tonawanda. Where's it going? Both sides of Niagara Falls. American side, Canadian side. St. Catharines, Hamilton, and even beyond. How about Lockport? Bill's Mafia. May I? I took a test earlier today. Come on, I took a test earlier today. Came up negative. Wow. And in the future, may all your tables break with relative ease. Because that, my friends, that, my friends, was tough. All right, Jesse, let's make this nice. That was beautiful. Peerless price. Emotional. First things first. And I mean that. I didn't want that to wow. be in any way, shape, or form condescending. No. It was very patronizing. touching. patronizing. Very touching. Sometimes it can be tough to be a sports fan, and sometimes it's just nice to absolutely lose yourself, as we did the entire weekend. I am buzzing. I still. can't believe that I flipped over to a Raptors game where they were down 34, got it to four, and I couldn't pay attention to any of it. No, not at all. No. Not at all. I didn't move from the couch for about two hours after the (laughs) Bills-Chiefs. Okay, look. It was a pretty disappointing wild card weekend in the NFL. The divisional round delivered. The first three games came down to game-winning field goals 
Then the weekend was capped off by the Bills and Chiefs, which certainly lived up to the hype. And then some. Let's begin with the obvious. That game, the Bills and Chiefs, what is your biggest takeaway? That Mahomes and Allen put on a show that I may never forget. Like, honestly, I may never forget the absolute fireworks that those two dudes uh, put on the field at Arrowhead Stadium. First playoff game where opposing quarterbacks each threw for 300 pass yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. First playoff game where opposing teams completed 70% of their passes, and both quarterbacks led their team in rushing just the second playoff game since 1950 when quarterbacks actually decided to throw the ball. Allen in two playoff games, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, only 14 incompletions in those two games. My guy had a passer rating of 149 in two playoff games and will watch the rest of the postseason from home. It makes absolutely no sense. And Mahomes... Mahomes, Patrick M. Effin Mahomes, 33 of 44 for 378 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a career-high 69 yards rushing. That's right, Rob Gronkowski's favorite number. Nice. 447 total yards against the best defense in the NFL, yards and points. And that's not even the best of it. The best of it is 13. Uh Uh-oh. 13 bloody seconds. How he, in the good name of Andy Reid, was able to get it 19 yards to Tyreek Hill, 25 yards to Travis Kelsey, and set up the game winner is beyond me. But, like, for the, the, the awesomeness of this, soak it in. It is unbelievable. If you're a Bills fan, I'm sorry. Earmuffs for seven seconds. Why the hell did they kick it deep, Jesse? This is the uh, million-dollar question, depending on who you ask. So uh, instead of squibbing it, which would have taken time off the clock, they elect to kick it into the end zone, touchback, can't uh, get any time off the clock. So then you have 13 seconds, obviously starting at the 25-yard line. But you don't even have to squib it. You can moonshot it. So, okay, so does this factor in at all? So, obviously, the Monday morning quarterbacks, and we are all Monday morning quarterbacks. Moonshot, moonshot, let me just say this. If you moonshot it, they can fair catch it. But if you moonshot it to the five, and they fair catch it at the five, that's 20 yards. Yes. Like, it's not, the squib kick is one option. A moonshot is a completely other option. And how good these kickers are, you could moonshot it to the 15. Okay, well, ten. I, I, I think we can all sort of agree now, looking back, the Bills should have squibbed it or moonshotted it. But the opposing side is looking at what Tyreek Hill did earlier in the game, and you're potentially yeah. putting the ball in his hands, and then you don't know what's going to happen, right? Because so, we saw what ended up happening with 13 seconds so left, then what and the, then earlier in the game. So then what are the odds of actually doing what the Chiefs did, like getting three plays off in 13 seconds. I think my biggest regret maybe in life is not checking the live odds with 13 seconds left. 
because I probably wouldn't have had to come in here anymore. But I love my job, so I would have come so in you, anyway. So you had a feeling that the Chiefs would pull it off with 13 seconds? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. But I think the odds would have been astronomical that it might have even been worth dabbling a little bit because of what they accomplished. Now, my question for you, other than the squib, I think we can agree that the squib should have happened or a moonshot should have happened. The, the Sending it past the end zone was ridiculous. No time came off the clock, and they ended up using every second that they needed, and it was good. Um, but my next question is uh, the prevent defense. Do is there is this going to break the prevent defense? Like, are we finally going to get to a point where maybe even, you shouldn't do this anymore? I don't even know what they were doing with the prevent defense. Like, if you look at where they were, mm-hmm. and I mean, everyone did. Even Tony Romo and Jim Nance were talking about it on the broadcast. Like. This is way too much cushion. Yes. Like, if you're worried about Tyreek Hill Which is what on a return, yeah. how are you not, like, and then this where you rush four and you leave Travis Kelsey open in the middle of the field with timeouts is just, I mean, it was jaw-dropping how far back they were sitting. I'm with you. I don't even, like, it was beyond prevent. It was like they were attempting to prevent the touchdown <laughs> yeah. because of the previous possession. That's but exactly what it was. This is, the, this is the jaw-dropping part of it, is how with a minute 54 left in the game, you ended up with four <laughs> lead changes, 31 points. And, like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in my life. Period. Nope. Definitely not, but that brings us to the next big question about this game, and that is, should Josh Allen have had a chance to touch the ball? Can I, can we, I just, before we get there, can I just stop for a second and put the 13 seconds, I think the 13 seconds will live in lore. Yes. For both teams, for a long time. And I would like to put it in perspective this way. The Dallas Cowboys ran their much-talked-about final play against the Niners with 14 seconds left. The Chiefs had 13 and the ball (laughs) on their own 25. Like, forget Bills fans, Cowboys fans, please don't watch the side-by-side. It'll make you throw up a little bit in your mouth. They ran three plays in 13 seconds. The Cowboys couldn't run two in 14 seconds. Like those, that's real time. Can we, do you want to soak that up one more time? This is real time. <laughs> that is 14 so- seconds on your left. That is awesome. 13 seconds on your right. It's unbelievable. Now, execution and timeouts play a factor, but execution is part of the game. Experience. Timeouts, part of the game. Experience, part of the game. All of that. And so the, the side-by-side of those two, is, not, is it not jaw-dropping and worth putting off our overtime conversation yes. for a split second no question to show that. just what happened? Uh, what was the, the now famous line that Andy Reid said to Patrick Mahomes with 13 seconds left when it's grim, be the grim reaper? Yes, yeah. uh, that, I mean, that, yeah, that might be uh, my line moving forward. I think a lot of people are going to adopt that quote. But, yeah, I mean, it, there's... <laughs> There's something about, and I talked about this last week, there's something about watching the greats do their thing. And obviously we had a chance to watch Brady earlier in the day. Yeah. But what Mahomes and Allen did yesterday was elevate themselves to a level that is rarefied air. And Mahomes arguably was already there. Without a doubt. But now Allen is in that conversation of of quarterbacks who you just know are going to be generational and around 
and in important games like this for an extremely long time. I, I want to talk about where we put this game in the history yeah. of games, like yeah. not just NFL, all games, but let's get to the overtime. So yesterday uh, I tweeted, future headline, NFL changes <laughs> OT rules. And people were responding in kind, and people were fired up and saying, like, this is ridiculous. It wasn't the overtime that cost the Bills. It was the 13 seconds. Mm-hmm. To that, I agree with you. Without a doubt, the Bills cost themselves the game by not being able to stop Patrick Mahomes and that offense over 13 seconds. Mm -hmm. Also, you can change the overtime rules, which (laughs) ironically enough, the Chiefs got screwed in a previous playoff, and they were the team that brought that to the rules committee, and no one wanted to change it, including the Buffalo Bills. But don't you think that this game given what we saw in the final one minute and 54 seconds was decided with this coin flip? Yes. Look, I did not bet on the Buffalo Bills yesterday. I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan by any stretch of the imagination. But what I am is a football fan. And when I'm watching that game last night, I felt like they had left something out there on the table. I wanted more of what that game had given me. Maybe that makes me a spoiled football fan. Mm Mm-hmm. But watching what Mahomes and Allen did, it only would have felt right to have Josh Allen get the ball one more time to try and match Mahomes, which he had just gone blow for blow for 60 minutes. Why does he not get one more chance? There are other leagues in the football stratosphere that do not have this rule. They have other rules to have that exact situation where both quarterbacks get to touch the ball. Why not the NFL? It would have made yesterday better. I, uh, I don't believe in the shootout. Like, I'm not even a fan of the CFL, NCAA shootout where you take out a third of the game. Yeah. But I completely and utterly agree with you. Both teams should have at least one possession. You, we should have been, listen. Are you not entertained? Yes. Are you not entertained? That game was unbelievable. And the fact that Josh Allen didn't have the chance to match robbed fans of even more absolutely legendary play in what was already one of the most entertaining games ever. I say all you do is give them one more possession. Allow them to match that touchdown. Mm -hmm. Then you can go sudden death. But listen, like, once we got to overtime, the Bills' defense was exhausted. Both these were exhausted. Right? Like... You had 25 points scored in the final 1 minute 54 seconds. The Bills D had just gotten off the field, and because of a coin flip, they had to go right back out onto the field. That's the part. If there was no coin flip to determine who got the first possession, I'd be okay with it. But as Warren Sharp tweeted, Maddie, if we can take this, should be a felony that this decides OT playoff games. And that's the way I feel. And it doesn't always happen, but it shouldn't ever happen. With the amount of points that were scored in the final two minutes, if you were watching the coin flip and you didn't think the team that was going to get the ball was going to score a touchdown, given what we just saw, (laughs) then you weren't paying attention to the game. And that shouldn't be the case. 
And it I, should be both teams touching. Listen, I know there's a lot of people saying, uh, I think Rash Madani said something similar. We've had people tweet in and say, hey, you, your defense can also score. Your defense can also stop them. Every rule change over the past, like, Bang on. two decades in the National Football League has been to favor the quarterback and the offense, and yet you're not giving them the same opportunity. Like, listen, if it was a 2017 game all the time in the NFL, I'd listen to that. I would have that conversation. you got to be able to stop them. That was the best defense in the league, and it was no match. Right? Like, it was no match. So just give the other team the same opportunity, especially if you are going to change every rule Mm -hmm. to benefit the offense. Yes, not a fair fight at all. Um, Bottom line is the fans wanted to see more. You're right. They wanted to see more, and you didn't give them the entertainment that you could have given them, and this is an entertainment business. Now, despite us being uh, disappointed that Josh Allen didn't get to touch the ball, you did allude to this. Where does this rank in the conversation of greatest games we've ever seen? Because I tweeted this out last night. I think it has to be brought up, and I know we're talking about in the grand scheme of overall sports, but I personally believe that what we witnessed last night is the greatest football game of all time, but we did pose the question out on Twitter, and we have tons of responses because obviously people love sports. That's why they watch the show. So we can get to uh, some of their takes, but um, in terms of I mean, all sports. All sports. Like, yes. let's quantify what we're asking for in this moment is not just NFL games. And I was at Super Bowl 43, which is the San Antonio Holmes in the back of the end zone. And to me, I thought that that was the greatest football. Uh, I mean, you could go Air Coriel, Dolphins and Chargers, Kellen Winslow being carried off the field as one of them. But this, I think this was the best NFL game ever. And I am not one to be caught in recency bias. I think that's one of my strengths. So, Jesse, let's hear what the people are saying. Okay, so uh, Mike writes in and says, uh, best game ever, Canada Cup 1987. Hashtag blue pants. Hashtag blue pants. It's a sharp baby. Yeah, uh, that's Gretzky to Lemieux. That is 6-5, and that is the third straight 6-5 game between the two. To have it capped by Gretzky to Lemieux Not bad. is absolutely <laughs> scrum trellis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Was it better than this? All right. Gamer Geek, Jays Rangers for me because the suspense in this game was unreal yeah. in the seventh inning. It's one of the best innings in MLB history that we saw. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of these. We're blessed as just sports fans. And the fact that this happened in Toronto is also just like as Canadian sports fans, I mean, it's pretty cool. Given and to have the home team of the country win yeah. the game as well. Totally. <laughs> Lends to it all. Uh, Nick says, uh, just for what came from it, and being a Raptors fan, Game 7, Toronto against Philly, the shot. The best game I've ever watched live and never going to forget it. Uh, that was- I, I understand that there'll be a lot of people who think that way. I don't know if that's uh, the shot, un- the ending, yeah. unbelievable, the actual game. That's a very good point. I don't know. That's a very good point because a lot of this is, is, is in the eye of the beholder. And the reason I think last night trumps almost every other uh, football game, if you want to keep it there for a second, is that it was the, the back and forth, the, the blow-for-blow nature of it, when you could look at a great ending or you could look at a great comeback, yeah. but in terms of actually like Rocky versus Drago going blow-for-blow, blow, that was something special that we witnessed last night. I think we'll look back at this one and it will get better because of where I believe Mahomes and Allen's trajectory to be. Yes. Like I think that we could look back and say, 
man, at 25 and 26, we got these two dudes going toe-to-toe, blow for blow. I think that will elevate this game as we move forward, and maybe that's my hug to you, Buffalo Bills fans. Yeah, it's just it, it's so disappointing for Buffalo because when you look at just the nature of the talent that exists, especially in the AFC now, these quarterbacks, got Burrow in the championship game now, Mahomes obviously last night, Herbert's around. It's just you never know when you're going to get another opportunity like that. So obviously a, a painful day for Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, Brent says, Rams-Chiefs from 2018, Monday Night Football. Brady robbed us of a rematch uh, in the Super Bowl, um, the, that was a crazy. It was 54-51 that game, and I remember at the time the Rams Chiefs was, were the two best teams I believe in the league. And a lot of people are pointing to this, but I mean regular season game, so I think um, not the same circumstances. Now Arash Madani writes in and says uh, three gives three. Arash. Uh, Diggs, sideline, touchdown, unbelievable. Vikings win it. Can't, you can't, can't put a Vikings wonder why, game wonder why as number there. one. Uh, Canada versus USA soccer semifinal, London 2012. Sinclair, uh, more yeah. Sinclair, crook of a Norwegian referee. Game 7, 2016 World Series, which was awesome. Rajay Davis, Homer, uh, rain delay, team meeting, visitors, weight room, Cubs win. <laughs> yes. Uh, Cub, the Cubs game 7, without a doubt, is up there. I, I'm... When we hit a nerve, I start getting texts. Uh, 2013 NFC Championship game uh, between the Niners and the Seahawks right there. That from friend of the show, Scott Rinsoul. 28-3, to 3, obviously a lot of people writing in there. But again, that's sort of like, what do you, do you prefer the comebacks or do you prefer each team going toe-to-toe for the entire 60 minutes which or plus? Like plus if, you look, minutes. if you look back at that game, like I had a note yeah. in my – I wrote down – what a great first half. So well played by both teams, Mahomes and, Mahomes and Allen. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just an ending. Exactly. It was the entire <laughs> game. And let me remind you, the Buffalo Bills defense just smashed the New England Patriots, right? Yeah. Like, into submission. And their offense did the same. Like, I, just, I think when you weigh it all, this might be the greatest football game of all. The, the other one that I would throw in there is the catch. Which for Tyree. people of just a little bit older, no, not, not Tyree, the other catch. That's another catch. Uh, Dwight Clark from Joe Montana, the Niners, yeah. Niners, Cowboys. Yeah. They were the two kind of heavyweights in the conference, going toe to toe. And Joe Montana's kind of legend is born with the drive. Uh, okay, so we have been talking for upwards of twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and there were three other preposterous football games yesterday. Do you have a second favorite one? I think. Listen, Zach Taylor tried to call a timeout before a game-winning interception by the Bengals. <laughs> the Packers had 10 men on the field trying to block a game-winning field goal when they lost to the Niners. The Rams fumbled four times. Like, I think that's my second favorite. The Rams got a near-perfect, absolute dream first half, and they still needed overtime to get rid of Tom Brady. Like, they, inevitable. Gave, they gave him every single... Like, we're... 19 seconds away from the end of the first segment on Tim and Friends. And Tom (laughs) Brady and Aaron Rodgers are both talking about retirement. And we haven't gotten there yet. That's how crazy this game and this weekend was. Yeah. I mean, the Niners scored six points on offense. Like, we could go on and on. Joe Burrow took nine sacks. Yes. And won. And won the game. And won. (laughs) It's like Cam Akers, who looked amazing in his cup, but two fumbles. Cooper Cup fumble. Then how does he? How does Cooper Cup get, get that what, wide open? What do you mean? Cooper Cup saved their asses. <laughs> just... Cooper Cup was unbelievable. 
It's just like one of those moments, like yesterday and Saturday, just was a sports fan's dream. It was just a sports fan's And that's why we had in the marquee, the NFL remains undefeated. Unbelievable. I, I just really kept tweeting, the NFL is drunk. Yeah. And I love every second Incredible. of it. Incredible. Uh, we'll ask Rich Gannon what was the craziest moment of all of the rest of it. And we'll get into Mahomes, Allen, Rodgers, Brady, Burrow. <laughs> John Wertheim on Felix and Chappell's run to the Aussie Open quarterfinal. Sam Cosentino talking Flames, Oilers, Canucks. And did we just find out Canada's men's national team at the Olympics? But we'll keep football going as Rich Gannon gives us uh, his thoughts on maybe the best weekend of NFL football ever. Tim and friends, jam-packed Monday. Let's go. Two lead changes, 52 seconds apart. Whatever quarterback has the ball last will win. To the end zone for the win. He caught it. Ball game. This is just unfathomable. Patrick Mahomes shows the world I'm still here. One of the most exciting players on tour, Dennis Shapovalov from Canada, Felix Auger Aliassime. He is a star of the future. The Edmonton Oilers finally pulling out a victory. Boy, did they ever need this one badly, snapping a seven-game losing streak. Wright was alone in front, trying to bank it off and does. Wright behind his back, banks it off the leg of Patrick Lieber, and Shane Wright opens the scoring. It sucks. It does, it sucks. We've been through a lot of hard stuff, so we, we can't cry about it. we got to go play. We're down to 40 seconds left. Third down and five at the 40. Tannehill steps forward. Popped up in the air. Intercepted with 20 seconds to play. McPherson trying to kick the Bengals into the AFC Championship. 52-yarder. He's got it. Cincinnati wins. And that's five sacks for this defense in each of the last three games. And it's blocked. Picked up and a touchdown with under five to go. Tie game. Wow. And this will be a 45-yard drive by Robbie Gold. Kick was down the middle and good. San Francisco is moving on with a 13-10 win here at Lambeau. Akers. Oh, he lost the ball. And the Buccaneers come up with it in the 30-yard line. Remember when this game was 27 to 3? Do I? Brady's going to hand it off. It's Fournette. He's going to take it to the end zone. This is officially lunacy. Stafford, deep downfield. He's got Cup again. 30 yards to win the game. Matt Gay boots it through. All three games so far, a walk-off field goal. Yes, all three. And it's fourth down. This is going to be really difficult now. Allen fires it. It's a wide open. Remarkable. Touchdown, Buffalo. Davis again. Down the middle. It's Hill. Cuts it upfield. He might be gone. He is. Kansas City takes the lead with a minute to go. Two lead changes, 52 seconds apart. From the 19, 17 seconds. Down the middle to the end zone, and there it is! Touchdown number four on the night for Davis. Down the middle, oh my goodness! It's gonna be a 48-yard attempt. How do you let him get that open? Only Mahomes gets you in an easy field goal range. Harrison Butker descended 
to overtime. The kick is good! Whatever quarterback has the ball last to win. Mahomes has hit his last eight to the end zone for the win! He caught it! Ball game! Chiefs to the championship game! I mean, it was near unanimous. Like, everyone said this was the greatest weekend in the history of the NFL. Like, that's saying something. Here to help us break it down is our Monday afternoon quarterback, former NFL MVP, Rich Gannon. Rich, what in the good name of Freddie Smurlis did we just see this weekend? Rich can't hear me. Rich, can you hear me now? Okay, we'll try and figure this out with Rich Gannon so that he can hear me in the near future. Because I'm not hearing Oh, oh, there we go. Obviously, now I still not hearing. Yeah. Rich, can you hear me? No, we can talk about Bill's Chiefs for as long as we do. Okay, let me uh, let me try one more time. All right, fine. Rich Gannon. Hey, how are you? I hear you loud and clear. Nice. Uh, what the hell just happened, Rich? I can <laughs> just say, this is near unanimous. Like, everybody sitting here on Monday and saying this is the greatest weekend in the history of the NFL. Like, what did we just see? Can you put this into words? Yeah, it's just an amazing weekend, Tim. I think the folks back in the league office have got to be thrilled with what transpired. I mean, just some great games. I mean, who would have thought Cincinnati could go down there and take take down the number one seed, the Tennessee Titans, with the Derrick Henry returning the action. I think you look at the Rams and the, the storylines there with Matthew Stafford and decision that uh, obviously Les Snead and, and Sean McVay made to bring him in that trade from Detroit and how well he has played, particularly in the postseason. And of course, you know, you look at the 49ers, I don't think anyone gave him a chance to go into Lambeau, a place where the Packers have won every home game this season and take down the Green Bay Packers, and and not score an offensive touchdown in the process. And, of course, (laughs) last night uh, we saw the granddaddy of them all, a great duel between two well-coached teams. And, of course, uh, Patrick Mahomes going at it against Josh Allen. I I don't know that I can get enough of it. And I think the good news is is these are young quarterbacks. They're under contract for very long periods of time. I think we're going to see a lot of it in the near future. Okay, this is going to be maybe the toughest question I have ever asked you, Rich Gannon, and we've done this a lot. Who impressed you the most this weekend? Like, there, is, there are several candidates that you could put forward, and if I were to just say, Rich, you got to give me one, who impressed you the most? I'd say Josh Allen. I think, you know, we've come to expect wow. the type of performances out of Patrick Mahomes. He was phenomenal, but I just think, Josh Allen's ability just to will it, his ability to put a team on his back back and just carry him the victory. I mean, the four touchdown passes, I mean, his, his, his runs, the, the way he made defenders uh, miss uh, free rushers and run for first downs. I mean, his toughness, his leadership, his poise. I mean, it's just uncanny for what you would describe as still a a young developing player at that position. But I mean, he's, he's reached star status this season, Tim. I think the Buffalo bills have a quarterback. That's going to, that's going to win some super bowls. I mean, they they continue to get better around him. I just think what happened at the end of the game was an absolute tragedy, an absolute tragedy. You feel sorry that someone had to lose, but especially Josh Allen. I mean, I feel like it was a wasted performance. They had that game in hand and allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to get back into it inside 13 seconds. Okay, so 13 seconds. Go. 
<laughs> well, I think you got to make. I think you have to make the Chiefs field the ball on the yeah. kickoff. Again, you don't have to squib it. But I think you need to kick it down inside the ten yard line. Make them make them return the ball. And then I think the first play of, of the drive is so important for an offense to get a completion, to get positive yardage. Look how deep the yep. defenders are. And this is Tyreek Hill we're talking about. I mean, that was an 18-19 yard game. That 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 play right there got him in, in a position to throw the next one here to Travis Kelsey. I mean, and, and the crazy part was Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier called a timeout and talked about it on the sidelines. That was a lack of communication and execution at a critical juncture in the game that allowed Kansas City to go down there and kick that 49-yard field goal. It never should have happened. Okay, one more on what might be the greatest game that I have ever seen in my life. Do we need to change the OT rules in the National Football League to give Allen a chance to counter? I don't think so. I mean, I think everyone knows the rules going in. Uh, it's unfortunate that they lost the coin toss. You, you, you just had a feeling going into the coin toss that these two offenses and two quarterbacks were unstoppable. And I just felt like whoever got the ball first was going to march down the field and, and not only score, but score the, the, the winning touchdown. And I just think it's unfortunate that the game had to end that way when you look at how well the Bills played, and particularly Josh Allen. But that's the nature of the beast. We, we know those rules going in. They changed the rules several years ago so that a field goal wouldn't yeah. get it done. You had four touchdowns. The Chiefs did that. You, you can blame you can blame the rules. You can blame the coin toss, but you also have to give some credit to the Kansas City offense. And also, you have to look at how poorly the Bills play defensively inside two minutes. Okay, so let me add one caveat to this because I disagree with you, but I don't want to spend time arguing with you because we did it in the first segment. Let me just add this. The NHL... And I don't want to point to the NHL as how to do things. But in the regular season, their playoff or their uh, overtime format is one way. And in the playoffs, their overtime format is another way. Do you think the NHL could alter the playoff format just to say, okay, in the playoffs, we can't do this because we've changed. For me, you've changed every rule over the last two decades to benefit the offense. And now, like if it was a 2017 game, I get it. Sudden death, you score that touchdown, you don't stop them. I'm good with that. But, like, the Bills' defense was exhausted. And I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have seen Allen just get one chance to match. You know, Tim, I never thought of it, but I do kind of like that, uh, what you presented. I mean, I think the fact that it is the postseason, I think that both teams deserve an opportunity to possess the ball. I would tell you as a quarterback that sat there in the tuck rule game against the Patriots back in 2000, I never got a chance to step on the field once that game went to overtime. I lost a lot of overtime games where I never got the opportunity to possess the ball, and that's frustrating. I know Josh Allen must feel the same way as he watched Mahomes and the Chiefs march down the field for the game winner. So I agree with you. I mean, I think that you know we know the rules going in, but I think in the postseason, I like that idea, and I think right. you should take it to the commissioner. I think it does make some sense because, look, the fans deserve it. The Bills Mafia deserve it. Josh Allen deserved the opportunity to at least touch the ball and possess it one last time. Yeah, just just ask Roger to call me back uh, when he's got a chance. <laughs> uh, just uh, we, we got it. Rich and I got something for him. Uh, all right, so you, you mentioned the tuck rule game against Tom Brady. Absolutely legendary affair. And you are part of the exclusive club. Just 49 men have ever captured the NFL MVP. You and Tom Brady are among them. No disrespect, he's got a couple more rings. But I believe in youth we learn, in age we understand. 
If Tom asked you for advice on what he should do moving forward, what would you say to him? I think it's pretty straightforward when you look at how well he's playing. I think how much fun he has in, in enjoying the, the competitive process of preparing and playing games. I think he's embraced the opportunity with a new franchise in Tampa. He's had great success. I mean, he'll probably finish a few votes behind Aaron Rodgers for the MVP. I mean, at 44 years of age, Tim, it's unheard of what, what he's doing. The bottom line is, is, as he talked about it, it's a sacrifice for his family, for his wife and his children. Uh, when you go through what is a very strenuous process, this offseason program, getting yourself physically ready for a 17-game season and then the postseason. I think it's just, just a question of how he feels uh, if he wants to continue to do it because there's no, there's no question in my mind that he's still capable of playing at a very high level and, quite frankly, winning another world championship. Okay, from uh, a multiple MVP to this year's MVP, do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to be on another team next year? I sure hope not. You know, I got one of those 50 votes. I voted for Aaron Rodgers. I just feel like, you know, he had an incredible season. Uh, and, and to come off of what he did last year, I mean, back-to-back MVP awards, if he's able to, to win it, I think he will based on the all-pro vote. But I always say that the grass isn't always greener. I think what's frustrating, when you look at the last 30 years of, of the reign of the Packers with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, think about that, Tim. 30 years of of two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and yet between them, they've won two Super Bowls. Bart Starr won five titles in seven seasons. I think there's some unfinished business. I think the, the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers will figure out a way to get it done. I just can't see Aaron Rodgers in a different uniform next season. And again, he may go somewhere, and it doesn't turn out quite the way he thought. You know, he may go to Denver or go somewhere else, Pittsburgh. The results may not. He's won 39 regular season games in three years with Matt Lafleur, and he's been he's going to be the back-to-back NFL MVP. Why would you want to go somewhere else? Your best chances are right there in Green Bay. I, I believe that too. And before we let you go, you and I have talked since Joe Burrow broke into the league about how much uh, we enjoy him. I know you like him. He becomes only the second quarterback to win an NFL playoff game despite being sacked. Nine times join Len Dawson, who beat Buffalo in 1966. Um, just give me a couple seconds on maybe uh, us witnessing something in Joe Burrow this weekend. Oh, toughness and grit. I mean, to, to, to get sacked nine times and not throw the football to the other team at least once is incredible. <laughs> he threw for almost 350 yards. First quarterback in franchise history to take his team on the road and get a victory. I, I, I feel so good about Joe Burrow. It's been an amazing turnaround, Tim, in just two short seasons with Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. This isn't your same old Cincinnati Bengals. They have a chance this weekend at Arrowhead. Remember, they beat them 34-31 uh, just a few weeks ago. I, I just think this team has something special and can, and can create some magic again at Arrowhead on Sunday. Uh, I'm glad we could connect because I could have watched four more football games this weekend and I could have spoke with you for four more hours. Uh, Great catching up with you, Rich. And uh, be well. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Tim. All right, there is Rich Gannon, uh, our Monday afternoon quarterback and one of the short list of NFL MVPs. Crazy to think that Rodgers and Brady's future being overshadowed by a game, yeah. but that's exactly what we're seeing right now. We just got some inside info that he voted for Rodgers, by the way. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of 50 votes. That tips I the scales a little bit. I didn't, uh, I, there's no chance he doesn't win it. Yeah, no chance. I, hey, I, and LaFleur could win Coach of the Year, too. Yeah. All those people them. talking about cancel culture and Aaron Rodgers not going to get those votes. Yeah. Get out of here. He is winning MVP. This cancel culture thing is the most overrated thing on planet Earth. <laughs> Just sometimes accountability. Time for a break. But we'll get to more of your thoughts on the greatest game ever as reaction from Monday continues to roll in. Or from Sunday on Monday continues to roll in. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll do it next on Tim and Friends. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. Feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Find random silly moments. Really stylish moments. Relaxed and safe moments. Find your RS moment. Introducing the 2022 Chevrolet RS lineup. Find new roads. Wait, what was the question? Let me guess. One driving high combo, extra baked? No. Uh, could I get a burger with a side of... Fries? Think you're a better driver when you're high? Think again. If you've smoked weed, wait at least four hours before getting behind the wheel. Or don't drive at all if you're new to it, have eaten it, or if you've mixed it with alcohol. job will Phil help you discover? Find out at ZipRecruiter.ca.
singing or speaking. Reason or fun. <laughs> Dairy or thoughtful. Sensitive or strong. Progress isn't either or. Progress is everything. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, your reaction flying in across the Twitter sphere. Alex writes in and says, I really wonder if Tim and Friends would have put the same energy or as much energy on the OT rule during tonight's show had the Bills won the toss. Pretty much all they talked about, LOL. Absolutely, positively, without a doubt, Alex. I can honestly say that because this has been my thought for years and because the rules have changed so much to favor the offense, it has made me think it more and more every year. The Chiefs were in that spot before. There's a lot of different teams where I've thought you need to let both teams have possession. Yeah, I mean, the argument was from an entertainment standpoint. It wasn't because for anything else. It wasn't about the Bills really in any way, shape, or form. It was just about what transpired. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a Bills fan. You're not a no. Bills fan. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about the sheer entertainment of the game. Yes. I get if you're a KC fan why you'd feel like but I guarantee you, if it had been the other way, I would have said the exact same thing. Pierre writes in and says, playoff games if Tim gets his way. <laughs> I had that one queued up. And it's uh, 142 <laughs> KC, 130. No, I say sudden death after the first two possessions. If they score a touchdown, you get the opportunity to match the touchdown. If you don't get the touchdown, you lose the game. After that, I'm okay with sudden death. Once both teams have scored a touchdown on their first possession, I'm okay if you go sudden death after that. I just think both teams need to touch the ball. We just want more football, right? Probably. We just want more football. Okay, uh, something we were talking about during the break. Um, I had said to you before the show that uh, watching the game and then the aftermath, the narrative was sort of like, okay, Josh Allen has arrived, and he is now almost on par. People say he's the best player in the NFL. And then you have Rich Gannon on. And you asked him what was the most surprising or impressive performance of the weekend, yeah. I believe is what you asked. Impressive. Impressive. And he said, Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh Allen lost the game. And I think we're almost getting to a point here where there's a subsection of fans out there that are already taking Patrick Mahomes for granted. And that's despite what we just saw him do yesterday. Yeah, I'm not there me. were 13 seconds in the game. Not me. I don't know if you if you weren't here at the start of the game. I actually called him Patrick MF and Mahomes yeah. <laughs> for what he did in that game. Not just the 13 seconds, which will go down in lore, but what he did to the Buffalo Bills defense, which was the best defense yards and points in the league this year. Patrick Mahomes last year. I was on this train about he might be able to catch Brady for the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. And then he lost, Brady wins, you add the other ring, that kind of goes out the window. But what Mahomes has done in his career is like he's going to the AFC Championship every year. Mm -hmm. Now, I get it, maybe he joined a bit better of a He had to wait a little while to take over. Like, he's still young. Like, this is what he's been able to do is jaw-dropping, the sidearm stuff, the intelligence, the, the athleticism, like he does everything well. He rushed for 69 yards and a touchdown. Like, that was an unbelievable performance yesterday. Yeah, I think one thing that separates basically the two of them, you mentioned it, it's the intelligence and the decision-making. Like, there were times last night where, I know Mahomes 
ripped off that long run, things he wouldn't otherwise have done. It hasn't done in the past. But hasn't had to. runs like that. Yeah. But what they both seemed like they were really capable last night was just adapting to what the defense was giving them. And now Mahomes has always done that for a very long time. But there have been questions about Josh Allen's ability to do that. Right. And then he answers that with basically two perfect football games from a quarterbacking perspective. People wondered if he could be a thrower. Right. And this is a video of Patrick Mahomes after the game. He was in the middle of the celebration, and he left the celebration to go over and embrace Josh Allen to make sure that he saw him before he left the field to show his appreciation and respect for the duo that just happened. Yeah. And uh, duel is what I... Maybe I said duo. That's okay. It, it was a duel of epic proportions. Uh, one of the best games of all time. We asked the question online. Uh, figure it's a nice spot to get a couple more uh, opinions. So Daryl writes in Canada, Russia, World Juniors in Ottawa 2009, mostly because I got to experience in person, which is cool. Everly scoring with five seconds left to force overtime and then getting the shootout winner uh, was something else. Being there is always going to put your vote to the game that you yes. are at. Yes. Yes. It's a... Uh, a big one. That was big a good factor. game, though. Really big good factor. game, without a doubt. Yeah. Everly uh, just scoring big goal after big goal after big yeah, goal that was after amazing. big goal. Uh, Sean says 2015 NFC Championship, a Century Link field back and forth all game in a crazy ending. Yeah, uh, Try me with a story game. receiver like Crabtree. It's <laughs> a result you're going to get. Uh, my name is Ed, says, uh, so I guess I'll just say Ed. 2006 I Rose Bowl, uh, Texas, USC, which I think I, I talked about yeah. not too long ago. Like, that's the, the Vince Young, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush. And that one was similar to this in that it was blow for blow the whole way through. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll get more of your feedback on this. Right? What's the best game you have ever seen? And did the Bills and Chiefs just weigh in on that? All right. We'll go to the ice when we return. The Oilers get a much-needed win in the Battle of Alberta. Will the Flames deal with some adversity of their own? Canucks, are they just trying to find goalies? Demko back soon? Maybe. Hopefully. We'll discuss it all with Sam Cosentino next. And the Leafs held on to a 3-1 lead. Weren't you on YouTube next. this weekend? I did YouTube with, uh, with Dangle. I'm a YouTuber now. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdog. Second hour, too sweet to be sour. Silicon John Wertheim from SI and the Tennis Channel on a pair of Canadians in the quarterfinals at a Grand Slam for the just the second time in history. Do Felix and Chapeau have a shot? Also, did the double IHF accidentally release Team Canada's roster for the Beijing Games? We'll ask Sam Cosentino get into the Oilers snapping their seven-game slide on Saturday, but we start our second hour with the team they beat. The news you need to know, here's what's happening at this hour, starting in Calgary. Coming off that loss in the Battle of Alberta, the Flames have now lost five of their last six games and try and get back on the horse tonight. Fittingly at the Saddle Dome against a streaking Blues team. You can see it nationally on Sportsnet 1 starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 local. With more on tonight's game, let's send it to Calgary. And our guy, Ryan Lesson. Right? Tim, the Flames certainly liked the chances they had Saturday night against the Oilers, but the fact remains they let them off the hook when they were up 2-0. Calgary couldn't finish off their division rivals, and so now it's about getting back on track against a St. Louis team that is absolutely rolling. Big, heavy, fast, and a deep team that is 13-3-1 
in their last 17 outings. Uh, certainly Matthew Kachuk is carrying the mail for Calgary these days. In his last four games, four goals, four assists, he has been red hot. Flames love to see that, but they're going to need to get him some help as well. And they want to make this Scotiabank Saddle Dome a tougher place to play in. They've lost three of their last four here, and this is their last game at home before heading back out on the road for two more. Uh, the matchup uh, between the pipes, it'll be Jordan Biddington against Jacob Markstrom. Tim. Two of the better ones. Thank you very much, Ryan. The Canucks have hired Emily Castonguay as their assistant general manager. Now, she joins from Momentum Sports, where she, like the general manager in Montreal, was an agent. Canucks are still, of course, looking for a GM. Jim Rutherford says... Uh, uh, who handles the interim duties, says that there could be a hire made this week, and if he announces an AGM, probably has a GM in mind. Here's Gaston Gay on her new role and the impact she thinks that she can have. I never thought, hey, you know, there's only men in this industry. I can't do this. Um, I just kind of got all the knowledge that I thought I could get to get to where I am today, and I just put my head down and did the work. Um, you know, I think if you let gender get in your way or if you let it intimidate you, that's when it will do that. Um, and I never really let that happen to me in, in my journey. It goes to show that women have a place in sports and in hockey. Um, you know, obviously, I, I'm starting with the assistant general manager and, and we'll see where that takes me. Um, I've always had high aspirations in, in my career and in life in general. So uh, we'll see where that takes me. But uh, I'll start with this for now. Keith Yandel is set to make NHL history by tying Doug Jarvis's Ironman streak playing in his 964th consecutive game tonight as the Flyers host the Stars. He can then break the mark tomorrow on Long Island. Jarvis has held the Ironman record since 1986. Right behind both of them, Phil Kessel was a current streak of 940 straight games. All right, uh, joining me now from the Cosentino compound in the uh, greater Toronto area is my friend and yours, Sam Cosentino, NHL insider and draft expert. What's going on, Sammy? Oh, man, just, uh, just checking out the news. Really happily, uh, happy for Emily. I, I got to work with her very briefly uh, as she was representing Alexi Lafreniere. So throughout the draft year uh, process for Alexi, uh, Emily and I had a couple of conversations, text exchanges and so on and so forth. So... Really happy for her, and uh, I think she's the perfect person for the job. Uh, and, and it's going to be uh, fun to see where she helps, uh, you know, guide this guide the ship. Uh, really interesting too. What's going on with Vancouver as they try and build out this management group? So excited to see who the general manager is going to be. But a really good pick uh, in Emily to be the AGM for uh, sure. Vancouver has done the agent thing before with Mike Gillis. We saw Montreal go agent with Ken Hughes. Um, is there? I mean, you deal with agents all the time. Is there a natural progression here? Do you think that this is something that we may see in the future? More agents making the move to the management yeah, side think, of things? Yeah, and, and we, you know, we saw baseball set the tone with that a little bit, and I think it's moving into hockey now because when you look at relationships, agents tend to deal with general managers on a, on a fairly regular basis. So inherently you have relationships built in. The next part is you have contract negotiation. So not only are you very familiar with that process and what both sides are looking for, you don't often get that where you have the opportunity to, to be able to present something or understand something from the player's perspective when you're sitting in management and you haven't sat on the other side of the table. And lastly, a lot of these uh, agents and their agencies, because they're so vast, they have a pretty good feel for what the younger player is coming up through the game. And so they're able to 
you know, decipher the good, the bad players they like, they don't like, even if they don't represent them at some point, they've probably chased that player and have a pretty good uh, knowledge base of what that player brings to the table. So there's a lot of different elements now that come into play when you hire an agent and flip them over into the management side. And what the young player wants these days. No question. And that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, the, the, the young player is, you know, entitled is probably a little bit of a stronger word, but I guess more um, uh, empowered yeah. in terms of what they're looking for, what they want, how they go about getting it, how they ask for it, and understanding the whole process where, you know, a, a lot of times when we look back in the past, it wasn't that way at all. It was coach says this, management says this, player does this, player does that. And now it's the player, you know, wants to know why, What's up with the negotiation? How is it going this way? How can we make it better? How can we be creative uh, to make it better for both sides? So there's no question that that element is really key too in understanding what the young player wants and, and the needs of the young player and what's absolutely necessary. And now from the management side of the table, what's maybe not necessary in some of those <laughs> contract negotiations. All right, Sammy, let's lace up the wheels and get on the ice. The Oilers were facing the fire and the flames on Saturday night down 2 nothing. Who or what impressed you most about finding a way to win that game? Well, the 2 nothing lead, and I'm sitting there and I'm shaking my head too, but, I mean, you have to point at Koskinen first. I mean, we showed uh, when I was working last week some of the reactions in that uh, big loss to Florida where he was just beside himself. And, and honestly, you really felt bad for the guy. But then he gets gives up the two-goal lead. He knows he's looking down the bench, and he's the guy, period, end of story. So he's got to gut it out. So good support from the team. But, you know, Evan Bouchard's two power play goals really key in getting them back on track, getting them a little confidence. A lot of different areas have been in question for this Edmonton team. So everyone wants to be quick to point at the goaltender. But the last six weeks, they've had the worst PK in the league. The power play, which is operating at 50% to start the year, was down uh, in the lower ranges of 20% before what happened on Saturday. And they give up the first goal. I mean, yeah, every an game. abnormally yeah. amount of uh, a number of games in which they've done that. And it's so hard, even when you have the best players in the world, to consistently be chasing the game. So uh, I'd say probably a mix between Koskinen and Bouchard were the, were the two guys responsible for getting it back going again. So they're extenuating circumstances that led to Evan Bouchard running the point on that power play, but it looked pretty damn good. Could we see more of this? And I know, you know, Barry has something to do with this and Nurse has something to do with this, but I saw someone writing about the idea that if Bouchard can take this and run with it, then it frees Nurse up to play more five-on-five minutes where he doesn't have to worry as much about the power play. And a little bell went off in Uncle Timmy's head because that makes some sense. Yeah, it, it does make some sense. But, yeah, I also have to be concerned about giving your players their cookies, right? They want power play time, the ability to build up points. They're, that's definitely something that they want to have in the arsenal. So if you can back Both of those guys awesome. got some cookies, by the way, in the last year. Barry and Nurse oh, got yeah, some no. cookies. Nine million cookies coming uh, Nurse's way next year. Yeah, no question. But you still want to give the guy power play time. But I'm like you. I'd like him, I'd like him to maybe worry more about the five on five plan defending yeah. i'll say this about bouchard i watched him a lot in his junior career in london two things he has a a bomb of a shot and b uh the ability to recognize when that bomb of a shot isn't available and you have to just risk it through he's really really good at getting pucks through and i think that's such a key to the power play because when you have the hands of a mcdavid or or a, you know a yamamoto or a ryan nugent hopkins or a dry down low it's just a matter of getting pucks through and then creating the chaos thereafter 
Uh, the Leafs get a 3-1 win, which is significant because it's 3-1. Um, and Peter Morazic was in net, Sammy. If they can get consistent backup goaltending, uh, this could be a team that could really make a run for tops in that division in my mind. Well, I, I, know I don't disagree saying. with you. No, no, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, but I think it's important that Morazic uh, plays in order to kind of spell Jack Campbell. We've yeah. seen throughout the course of Jack's career, too many starts in a row, too much action. At some point, he's going to wear down and break down. So finding that perfect balance where you can keep Morazic sharp, yet still give Campbell the, the required minutes to, to give to, to your number one goalie is a real key thing here. And Morazic, listen, he's got a ton of experience. He's a fun guy. Teammates love him. Uh, it'll be nice to see if they can kind of find that balance here and keep both guys healthy for sure. Jack Campbell's already set his career high in starts. Yeah, and that's, you know, we've seen it in the past. So you, you have to be concerned about that a little bit for sure. But I think, you know, aside from that, uh, you know, we heard the Sheldon Keefe comments last week, the the soft, the, ex, you know, being exposed, those sorts of things. I think some of that hard physical play and being tough to play against is going to have to be a hallmark uh, of this team in the postseason. Okay, so uh, earlier today, uh, and I'm not here to break any news or try and put out Canada's roster before they have an official announcement, which we're hearing is probably going to be tomorrow. But the IAA, uh, the double IHF um, mistakenly may have leaked Canada's roster. Now, we've seen some names, and you've been told some names. Um, where do you place Canada, its roster, and what we're seeing from other countries right now in uh, what will be a very interesting men's tournament at the Beijing Games? Yeah, it will be for sure. And it's and I think the cool part about it is that we're familiar with a lot of these names through their various time in the National Hockey League. But for me, looking at some of the young guys like the Kent Johnson, the, the Mason McTavishes of the world, um, you know, the Jack McBains and then Owen Power, uh, it, it's neat to see those guys really getting an opportunity. And on the flip side of that, Tim, when I look at the U.S. team and they're bringing five players that were on their world junior team, you know, that speaks a lot to the youth of this tournament. Um, I look at the Czechs. They've got three uh, guys, two draft eligibles, and another, uh, I think, is a Columbus pick who plays out in Seattle for the Thunderbirds. That's going to be on their team. So you're seeing a lot more youth. You're seeing also, though, a mix of guys that we've seen play in the National Hockey League. So obviously it's not NHL caliber, but with it being a step below, I think that rings to every team where you've had your guys that maybe, you know, Finnish players and Swedish players that have come over, played a little bit in the National Hockey League, but for whatever reason have either found comfort at home or better contract situation or better family life at home where they're playing in the SHL or playing in Liga, and and now they get a chance to represent their country at the Olympics. So I think it's really a cool situation for a lot of those players uh, when I'm looking at it from a Canadian perspective that have slugged it out over here, that have gone through their junior or college careers, have tried to make a go of it in the National Hockey League. It doesn't necessarily work out. So then they're given that opportunity to, to fulfill a, you know, a lifelong dream in, in a couple of weeks that they'll never forget, as diminished as what this experience is going to be based on where we are in the pandemic. Uh, the Russian squad, and let's not call it anything else but what it is, the Russian squad was unveiled this weekend. Are they, are they the favorites? It's ridiculous that people uh, are acting like this isn't Team Russia like they did last Olympics. It's Russia. Let's, let's not be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. ROC or yeah. athletes of Russia or the or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> but man, are they the favorites? Yeah. Again, you're talking about a lot of experience, but a little bit of youth mix in there as well, which is, which is pretty cool. And I'd love to see that youth being 
um, you know, uh, infused into these lineups. I think it's unbelievable. But I, I think it's really tough to, to handicap a favorite, especially when if we sitting over here in North America are looking at some of those players, and we have a pretty good history of what they're all about, but we haven't seen what they're able to bring to the table recently to see watching uh, KHL games, SHL games, league games, that sort of thing, to see if their games have changed at all, to see if they've evolved as players from what they were not being able to quite make it over here. Good point. Artem Anisimov, Mikhail Gregorenko, Nikita Gusev, Anton Shlepyshev. There's a lot of guys that people might be familiar with, but what what have they done lately? Uh, Well, we're about to find out, but I think that they're the favorites going in, at least in Vegas. Before I let you go, Sammy, Shane Wright's goal. Go. (laughs) Brilliant. I love it because there's been a lot of noise surrounding Shane Wright lately. And I got to be honest with you, last Sunday I went in and watched him in Hamilton. He wasn't particularly good, although why he's wearing the face mask is a pass he took from one of his teammates right in the chops. But this goal is brilliant. I mean, the, the wherewithal, the knowledge, the realization, hey, I've run out of real estate, but maybe not. Um, you know, I'm bouncing it back in off the goalie. Absolutely brilliant. So I'm happy that he's getting headlines for a positive reason. I know the scouting community has been a little bit nervous yeah. about his play lately, but for me, he's still the number one guy. He's still the number one guy? That was the last question that I was going to ask yeah. Uh, he still the number one guy. You're among my number one guys. Appreciate you, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. What are we going to football, Timmy? Oh, my God. We just we spent an hour talking about it. I don't know if I can dip back in, but it was unbelievable. Uh, thanks, buddy. Great catching up with you. Okay, take care. There is uh, Sam Cosentino. And I can't call him my number one guy because then other people will get pissed off at me. Yeah, like I'm right here. But he's... he's I'm right here, too. He's among... Yeah. Sebby's yeah, there, you're, too. Yeah, you're, you're, you're among yeah. my number one We're guy. We're both right here. Right. You okay, right, Seb? Time for a break. Yeah, okay, when we right. come back, <laughs> the Raptors come out flat against the Blazers in an empty building on a Sunday. And they are back to 500 because of it. Plenty of questions around this team. We'll get some Raptors talk in next in what might be the most bizarre game of a bizarre couple of years for the Raptors. Forty-two minutes remaining in this edition of Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff here with you. Mr. Rubinoff uh, labeled our digital correspondent, our digital producer. Mm-hmm. He is there for you. And you've been reacting all day. Yeah. Okay. So we asked, um, obviously we spent a fair bit of time today on the Bills and Chiefs. We asked, was it the greatest game ever played? Some good responses coming in. So let's get to Stevens first. Now this game uh, was the best ever because it was literally error free. Each team played to perfection. I never watched a game when I could have watched it for another five hours. The play execution was perfect. No turnovers. Penalties decided the game. I'm Only not going to do that. A coin toss decided the game. I'm not going to do that like uh, grammar thing where you say literally because there were a couple errors. But <laughs> I get exactly what you're saying, yeah. Stephen, without a doubt. Well it's, a great, it's a great point. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very good point. I think Both it's probably why we all enjoyed it so really much. well. Yes, yeah. fascinating to watch. Uh, Daryl says, as a Yankees fan, it was painful, but it has to be the Game Seven ALCS with the Red Sox in 2004. But is that the ser- like this the the series game, was the, the series thing there, was yeah. the thing. The fact that you had the yeah. lead and then you blew the lead. The game was good, it wasn't great. This game was unbelievable start to finish. That's probably the, the Bills best went baseball for it series. on fourth down twice on the opening yeah. drive of the game. Yeah. It was that was amazing. We didn't even talk yeah. about that. It's just McDermott right off the hop. Uh, okay, Ted says tw- 2007 
Fiesta Bowl, Statue of Liberty play should be up there. It was also blow for blow. I do remember. Yeah. I remember that. That was Adrian Peterson, I believe, on, I'd have on to, the Oklahoma Sooners. I'd have to go back and watch that one. And uh, that's Boise State. Boise right? State, so, Blue Field, I'm pretty yeah. sure. That they got a famous Blue Field. Uh, and Adrian Peterson, I believe, was on the other side of that one. Anthony says, rookie Raptors beating MJ and the Bulls. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I was I was a, I was alive one. Uh, yeah, it was a great win, but the Bulls were hungover. <laughs> they were hungover. They were drunk. <laughs> what are you talking like, about? Probably here? if you tested them, they were probably drunk while they were playing. Uh, Scotty says Toronto FC playing Montreal in the rain. I was there. Uh, second leg at BMO. TFC winning extra time, beating them five two, and sending us through to MLS Cup. I was uh, watching that game from like bleachers behind one of the goals. And the bleachers just getting soaked, not were, no, soaked, and yeah. the bleachers were not safe. Like you could feel those things just like swaying in the breeze. <laughs> I was like, what, what am I doing here? Just a poor decision. Uh, Lucas says Canada USA gold medal game men's Olympic ice hockey, 2010. Yeah, pretty Vancouver. Good uh, yeah, oh, Lucas. Beach. Sorry for not bringing that game up. Yes. Uh, earlier. Crosby with the golden goal. <laughs> uh, Steven says 1972 Summit Series, Canada defeats USSR and Paul Anderson. And people will argue icon. there were better games like Game 8. Like There were people that will argue that other games were actually better. But Henderson in front of the net, obviously uh, kids watching in their gyms at school. Like that's, That is definitely part of the lore. I just don't know that the singular game was as good as what we saw. Start to finish. And the final one, uh, Finn says... Marie-Philippe Poulin, game-winning goal. You can decide which time. <laughs> uh, so, how about Sochi? Game-time goal and game-winning yeah, goal. That was unbelievable. Uh, I was looking at condo. A lot of yells in the condo at that time. Just from For a hashtag everyone. gold medal yeah, in your yes, face? Yes, Everybody just open windows. Everyone screaming. Um, you know what wasn't a classic last night? Or the greatest game ever played? The Toronto Raptors oh, in Portland Trailblazers. Uh, nothing of the sort. Not great basketball. They got off to a brutal start, the Raptors did on Sunday, trailing the Blazers by 34 points at one time in the first half. The Raps shot just 23% in the first half, and despite a second-half rally, they dropped back to 500 with a 114-105 loss. Here is Pascal Siakam after the game. I'm super proud of the guys, man. Like I think, like you know, we I've been in the league for a little bit, and I just feel like every time teams are down like that it's just like you know we kind of pack it in and 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 um but I, i'm proud of the guys for just continue to fight and um you know those are the type of guys that you want to go to war with that's what i would call a moral victory i no, this is i i'll say this um i said hold on because they got from 34 to 4 yeah it was crazy like, to get from down 34 to get within four late in the game, I mean, they were down, like, 23 with eight minutes left in the game. Like, there was, there were plenty of opportunities for them to pack it up, pack it in, and let them begin, to quote uh, the great House of Pain back in the day, uh, preparations for their next game, and they didn't. And what Pascal said there, like, I don't know if you want to hang your hat on that, but in the moment, yeah, like there's a lot of teams that would, but that's not their style. Like I remember having a conversation with uh, the head coach of the Carlton Ravens, Dave Smart, and he used to coach to the absolute end. They'd be up 40. Other coaches would say to me, like, what the hell is he still screaming about up 40? And what he told me was in those moments, you are practicing for when you get the game that is within four mm. points. 
And you can't change your culture whenever it benefits your team. You have to, you can't just create a wonderful culture and then let it slide half the time. And that's what the Raptors have built here. They've built a culture where they're going to fight and they're going to scrap for every single play. And you can't just let that go. And that means something. And I know in the grand scheme of things, this year, last year, it hasn't meant a hell of a lot. But you can't just change that for a moment or a game or two and then turn it back on. Like, that is only the greatest can do that. And I don't know if you've looked at the standings, but the Raptors aren't exactly the greatest over the last two years. Uh, No, they haven't been. And uh, a little bit of adversity basically coming back home. Here's what Nick Nurse had to say about uh, being in an empty arena after being out on the road. It sucks. It does. It sucks. Is there an adjustment required for your guys? Nope. I mean, we talk about it. We say, hey, we know what what the deal is going to be. There's going to be, you know, we're going to have to try to create this ourselves and just couldn't do it tonight. But you're right. That is, is not the you know, the issue, but it's, it, it isn't, you know, I mean, you guys have said this before, it's really disappointing, right? Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever your thoughts are, it's just, it's just, it's just hard, but we've been through a lot of hard stuff, so we, we can't cry about it. We got to go play and we got to play better than we did tonight. That's real. It's a distinct yeah. disadvantage, not having a home audience. Yeah. I know. I mean, you can't, he just said he's not going to blame the atmosphere on the loss or blame the loss on the no, atmosphere. But it's a disadvantage. But Everyone yeah, recognizes Especially that. at the beginning, too. Like, there's no energy. It becomes harder to get up to play that game. And, like... I don't know about the harder to get up. I'll disagree with you on the harder to get up for a game. Like, they came out sleepwalking. But once you start making the rally... Mm-hmm. And you know that coming back from 34 down to get it to four, the crowd would be absolutely bonkers in there. Like that Mavs game from a few years ago. Right. Back. Yeah. Where, where you could feel the energy in the building. Like to battle back without a crowd makes it even more impressive to me. But in the end, it's another loss, 22-22 and 22 on the air for the Toronto Raptors. Um, by the way, Andre writes it and says, hands down, best game ever, 1973 snooker match on Benny Hill, which is an instant classic Anytime a Benny Hill reference. Do you know Benny Hill? I, I'm, not, I'm not partaking in any of these um, slanderous moments anymore. What do you mean you're not partaking? I'm you, not, I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to decline. Decline what? Do you know what Benny decli- Hill is? I'm declining answering because I, I just, I, I, I get, I say no to things. And then I get so destroyed. You, so you just said no, one, and two. No, I didn't. I said I can I help you out. To answer. They're on YouTube. They're all around. No, you can't just back out. Listen, there are things that you watch that I've never seen. Okay? It's okay, Jesse. If the COVID protocols weren't here, I would give you a hug, too. <laughs> just like I gave to Depew I could use and both right Tonawandas. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's fine. I don't know if Benny Hill's that old. Just an old man walking around slapping bald people's heads and looking at girls. You don't remember Benny Hill? Anyway, it's time for a break. Which one? Aren't there multiple? Oh, God. Now I'm digging my... I'm digging... Multiple Benny Hills. I Googled it quickly and things came up. (laughs) (laughs) Things did come up in Benny Hill. Often. Time for a break. One went back. We're talking tennis. Chapo and Felix both into the quarterfinals at the Aussie Open with marquee opponents on tap. Nadal Medvedev. They got a shot. We'll ask John Wertheim next. 
Hit a show? Well, one of the most exciting players on tour, Dennis Shapovalov from Canada. Boy, can he let it rip. And Shapovalov gets him again. He guessed right. Alexander Zverev is in real trouble here. As Shapovalov takes the second set, Shapovalov has two match points. Shapovalov shines in Melbourne. He's through to his first Australian Open quarterfinal. Absolutely stunning display from the young Canadian. It was just simply brilliant from start to finish. It's probably the, the one I least expected to, you know, to finish in three, so I'm very happy with, with my performance. Felix Auger, Aliassine, looking to prove that he belongs. Jets, great point from Felix Auger, Aliassine, and that brings up match point. And he does it in style. Aliasim is through to the quarterfinals in a stunning display and look at the smile on this young kid's face. He is a star of the future. Just the second time in the open era, two Canadian men are through to the quarterfinals at a Grand Slam. Do they have a shot? Well, some pretty interesting names on deck for both of them and an interesting name on deck for me. John Wertheim, one of the best in the business from SI and the Tennis Channel, joining me now. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this. Oh, pleasure. How are you? I'm very well. Now, a lot of Canadian fans are jumping into this, uh, at least on the periphery, on the bandwagon, trying to get involved here. Do either of these kids have a shot at what is Nadal and Medvedev next for both? Yeah, I mean, you could see from the draw where they are arrayed. Uh, say this, if, if either one of them gets by, they've got a real chance to win this tournament. Uh, you know, you're basically taking the, the highest seed remaining, the guy who had won the previous major in Medvedev, that's who Felix has, and Dennis has Rafa Nadal, who, uh, apart from everything he's achieved, has looked terrific in Australia and is going for his 21st major. So you see that the Canadians have drawn the top two players in terms of the odds makers. Having said that, you know, youth uh, youth can go a long way. We saw at the U.S. Open that uh, anything can happen. And if either of them wins, I think they've got a real chance to win this whole title. What's Nadal's shape like? Because obviously he hasn't played a ton of tennis in the last little while, but he's looked good so far. Like, what do you make of the Rafa Nadal that you've seen in, a, in Melbourne? You know, he's one of the all-time great sandbaggers who will always minimize <laughs> his chances. And, you know, he's, he's, playing, uh, he's playing me and you, and we're the best players in the history of tennis. I mean, he's very uh, modest. He knows what's at stake. I mean, Djokovic is not here. Federer is not here. He's 35 years old. He's actually playing really, really well. And I feel like we sort of have all fallen asleep on this story. I mean, if Rafael Nadal wins this, he will vault past Federer and Djokovic, 21st major, most of all time, and then the French Open is next. All of a sudden, Nadal could really position himself very well in this sort of greatest of all time derby. And, he, and he's been terrific. He's only won the Australian Open once, but he's been to the final four times. He can play on the surface. His foot is healthy. He seems to be in great spirits. I think he's probably the favorite. I, th I think Dennis is going to have a, a really tough task. Well, one of the things that Jesse and I, uh, my co-hosts here, were talking about last week was the amount of time that both Shapovalov and Felix has spent on court. And uh, we got the numbers and we ran them uh, so far. And Felix has been out there 13 hours, 27 minutes. Dennis is second, 13 hours, 11 minutes. Uh, how much will that wear on them as they face uh, Medvedev and Nadal, who have combined to play six hours less than those two? 
Yeah, keep keep in mind uh, keep, keep keep in mind as well that before this, they both played in the ATP Cup victoriously. I mean, Canada won, but these two guys have already played a lot of tennis coming into Australia. I mean, the good news two twofold. One is that they are both younger than their opponents, and uh, in the case of uh, you know, in the, in the case of Dennis, more than a decade younger. The other thing, it can be a little misleading. I mean, yesterday was a really really hot day, so that time probably counts a little bit more. Um, on the other hand, it wasn't necessarily the most stressful match. I mean, F Felix looked really shaky for the first half hour. He lost the first set, barely 30 minutes, 6-2, and then he was terrific. So he spent more than three hours on court, but I would say the last 90 minutes was, it was a pure joy. So uh, you're right. Both of them have, have spent a lot of time on court on some very hot days, but uh, I, I don't think that will be a, a huge – tomorrow's supposed to be really hot. I don't think that's going to be a huge factor with Rafael Nadal and, uh, and Dennis Shapovalov. Okay, so uh, I know you got to go. You're going to be on the air in a couple minutes right now. So last one. Will uh, Felix Auger Aliassime enjoy a home court advantage given the fact that he is taking on the new WWE heel turn of the Aussie <laughs> Open in Daniil Medvedev? He's Medvedev uh, complained that his opponent was boring. He's complained about his court. He had to play Nick Kyrgios. I think Felix, Felix is very hard to root against anyway. He's a very easy player to like. I think that could be a real factor. And I think you know, he's lost seven straight sets to Medvedev, has Felix. So he's going to have his work cut out for him. I think he's got a real shot. I, I think Dennis in a best of five match against Nadal, lefty to lefty. I think that's probably the tougher ask. I think Felix can uh, can win this match against Medvedev. And if he gets a little extra fan support, uh, you know, you wish it were full capacity and not half. But if he gets a little extra fan support, uh, so be it. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. All right, Mr. Wertheim, I know you got to do some, uh, some more business and get on air at the Tennis Channel. We appreciate you taking the time and doing this with us. You got it. Yakety Yak is your Benny Hill theme song, by the way, for the record. <laughs> but uh, always a pleasure. Very good. <laughs> Jesse still doesn't know what Benny Hill is, but no, we'll explain I it a researching, little bit. Yeah. I don't know if it's great humor, but it's humor uh, nonetheless. There is John Wertheim. Uh, for those wondering, uh, two dogs and pretty massive dogs. So Chapel is plus 220 at last mm -hmm. check. Nadal minus 275 for the match. Medvedev minus 700 and Felix plus 450. So obviously Vegas feels like Medvedev is the overwhelming favorite. That's like you know, one dollar or seven dollars to every one dollar you got to bet to win. Yeah, I think John made a really good point though about just how young these guys are and how it might actually be okay when you take into account how much time they've played on the. You're making a face. You don't. You don't agree. Three. I know they're young, but three hours more on court. Like that is significant. I and listen, game. I thought I thought it would affect him against Shverev, and it didn't. I say so, like four points of tennis, I'm done. It's, it's, imp <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. Like these guys are just running around like crazy. When I think about Chapo and Felix, I keep coming back to you. Remember, Arash was in here like a couple months ago, or maybe yep. more than a couple months ago, and he, and you asked him what the ceiling was for these two guys, and he said Connors and McEnroe. Yeah. I believe is what he said, and I know we've been following these guys for a long time, but I know Arash obviously follows tennis closer than I do, and when he said that. Yeah, like both sort of, of a light, our eyes popped, yeah, yeah. Our eyes popped a little bit. Eyebrows went up, and I think maybe this is the tournament where you're, you're potentially seeing that come to fruition. Now, obviously, two major hills to climb here, but to make it to this point, just another step in their progression. Winning, you know, when they won the ATP Cup, you and I had a conversation. I said sometimes just winning opens the door. When you beat good players in big matches, it opens the door to. I'm not saying that these guys two are going to meet in the finals. Mm -hmm. They're they. 
if Vegas tells you anything, is that they're probably going to lose to Nadal and Medvedev. Yeah. But I do believe that that ATP Cup gives Canadian tennis fans a glimmer of hope that they might be right there ready to take that next step because obviously there have been some gatekeepers at the top yeah. of tennis for a long time. They're definitely not going in there thinking that they're going to lose. They think they have every chance in both of these matches to win. Chapeau did beat Nadal in 2017 uh, at the Rogers Cup, which was a huge win, obviously, early in his career. Uh, see if he can replicate that. Uh, he is 1-3 uh, against Nadal. Uh, Ojeel Yassim is 0-3 career against Medvedev, although he was previously against Cilic. Yeah. 0 for 3 as well on hard court. So many him. good tennis players. All right, time for one last break. We'll get the last call. More Jesse Rubinoff. Check in with Ron and Tara. Hometown hockey is back, kids. That's right. Rogers Hometown Hockey returns. We'll hear from Ron and Tara next. Right here. I know Tim this. I know you know this. I, don't, I, don't, I can't. I couldn't put the Benny Hill to it. I'm just doing it. Welcome back. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to Kansas State center Aoka Lee, who made history on Sunday. Lee dropped 61 points against Kansas State, or excuse me, for Kansas State. Most points in a single game in NCAA women's basketball history. Lee breaks a record that was held since 1987 by Long Beach State's Cindy Brown. 61 that's big-time stuff. So is Rogers Hometown Hockey. It returns to the airwaves uh, last uh, tonight excuse me, with Ron McLean and Tara Sloan coming up on Sportsnet at 7.30 p.m. Eastern to, uh, ahead of the Habs and Wild. I think I got it. Bit of a different look in studio, not on the road again because of COVID protocols. We'll tee uh, up some of what you'll see tonight. Ron, take it away, please, because I'm... Thanks a lot, Tim. It's a very exciting day. We're all getting to know the new host. This is Tara Sloan for eight <laughs> seasons, the host of Rogers Hometown Hockey, top of her game, uh, outstanding broadcaster, and it's really nice to meet you, Tara. And this is my agent, Ron McLean. <laughs> this is my first time in studio, believe it or not. So, it, listen, we're grounded. We would rather be on the road, of course, but it's really nice to be back. And we have a great show tonight. Um, first of all, I could hear the glass ceiling breaking as Emily Castonguay was announced as the assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Going to have a great conversation with Cassie Campbell-Pascal about that. And you're really interested in Emily as just a, a personality. She's she's Well, you tried to have her on right? top of her game, yeah. and she would say, no, I, I don't want to be the story. I have work to do. And, and that's going to be a, a challenge, I'm sure, for Emily, because we'll all be looking to her to hear her story, to feel that inspiration. So, yeah. Congratulations, Emily. Uh, Alexi Lafreniere, we were trying to get him the day of the draft lottery, and of course that was a bit of a hijinks, and uh, she, that's the only time I ever dealt with her, and she was extremely professional, and uh, what a great get for the Vancouver Canucks. Chris Cuthbert's also going to join us as a guest tonight. He's not calling the game. John Bartlett will handle that. Uh, but Chris, for years, did the high school state hockey championship, which is, I mean, it's the mecca of school hockey tournaments is what happens at St. Paul, and they get 20,000 plus to the games, so that'll be great, and the intermissions will also be great during a, a game between two excellent teams. Montreal's had an unbelievable week uh, against tough, tough opponents, and Minnesota's five of six, so they're going. Well, and Minnesota was the place where Devin Dubnik found his footing again. You know, it was like all seemed lost. So he's going to join us to talk about uh, his parts of six seasons there. And that's where he won the Masterton and Vesna finalist. And I have 10 seconds to tell you, Tim, there's a wolf, you know, at the OHL games in Sudbury. Well, Montreal Canadiens visited there in the 50s. Toe Blakes from Sudbury brought the team in. They were hammering the wolves and the wolves finally scored in the third. The wolf came out face off at center ice. 
Back to Doug Harvey. He goes in on his goalie, Jacques Plante, and scores. And he goes to the bench, happy as a rabbit. And Toe Blake says, what the hell was that? He says, come on, Toe, it was worth it to see the wolf again. We have the story of the wolf, <laughs> the famous wolf in Sudbury in the second intermission. A howl of the hallowed moments in the north. Forget the wolf of Wall Street. We've got the wolf of Sudbury coming up <laughs> on Rogers Hometown Hockey with Ron McLean and Tara Sloan. I will get it all right uh, because I was looking at, uh, at quotes during the commercial break, which may have thrown me off. But there is no shame in admitting you don't know. The only shame is pretending you know all the answers, Jesse. Is that a shot at me? It's Benny Hill. It's you. It's me. It's the world in 2022. There's no shame in not knowing the answers to everything. Ron definitely knows Benny Hill. He knows everything. Ron knows a lot. Yeah, Ron knows a lot. Yeah. Um, Stavi, I guess, is how I pronounce the name. Oh, pretty good tweet that we got to show related to this. Jesse being asked about Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. He actually answered it with more words than I did. <laughs> so, but that's very, Why are you very being good. pissy, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, that was me being pissy yeah, with regards to, to Benny Hill. Um, oh, I, knew the, I knew call? the song, though. Yeah, let's do the last what, call. But I knew what, the, I knew the theme song. if you don't know what Benny Hill is? That's what freaks me out about this. No, no, no. It's because... I, I'm a naturally curious person. I like to know things. So when I don't know something, I know it all. But I like to know things. <laughs> and when I get... I like, I like the caveat. <laughs> you got a caveat. Like, I like... I'm the when, same I like way. when I'm good at Jeopardy, right? So when I don't know something, bothers me a little bit. And when you're on national TV, and you just get like... Well, it's going to happen on this show. Like, yeah. you and oh, I oh, are really? out here two hours oh, I haven't, all the time. It's not like it's happened before or anything. <laughs> Right. Trevor Zegras announced Saturday that he'll take part in the breakaway challenge at this year's NHL All-Star Skills Competition. The rookie, of course, best known for his Michigan-style assist. Uh, Timmy, does this news get you more excited for the skills competition? Uh, I feel like sometimes there's pressure on these kids who actually have personality to show up with personality. It was like Alexander Ovechkin shows a glimmer of personality. And then they put a ridiculous hat on him at the All-Star game and yeah. force him to, be, hey, be funny now. Show us person. I hope they don't do that to Trevor Zegras. The, the actual evolution in the NHL that I hope we get to is that you're not forcing the one or two kids with personality to show off their personality. Just let them be him and it'll come out naturally. But because there's so little personality in and around the NHL, oh, Patrick Kane, be funny now. Just let them be their, their own selves. It goes back to your uh, beef with the Wes McCauley fighting thing. Exactly. It's like, it's exactly. Like, oh, that's like what we as hockey fans get excited about because he did this. Oh my, he said fighting really <laughs> funny. Oh, he's just excited. Let's just have more fun in the NHL, basically. Uh, Canadian midfielder Steven Nistacchio reportedly tested positive for COVID-19 over the weekend. He's expected to miss the upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Honduras, United States, and El Salvador, although he did get named to the roster that was announced today while also making a switch to Porto. So an eventful week for Eustachio. Tim, how are your nerves as we draw closer First to off, Canada's next matches? Going from where Eustachio went to Porto, like Porto is like, like Champs League, maybe not Champs League, but they're they're in UEFA competitions. FC Porto, right? Yes, like and this you know. is, <laughs> you yeah. know that, yeah, right? Yeah, that like means this is a big deal. This is a real move. This is to one of the powerhouses in Portugal, so congratulations to Estacchio. If he's not there, that's another blow to this team. 
And I was looking down earlier today and Canadian, like C-A-N-M-N-T, men's national team was trending in Canada because there are a lot of nervous soccer fans. Now, he was included in the team. I don't know if it's possible that he gets in, maybe in Honduras. He can show up on short notice. I don't know if he can show up on short notice to Canada and pass all the COVID protocols here, but maybe he can play in the road. He's a big part of what they do, especially in the midfield. Uh, Hopefully he's able to play in one, two, maybe three of those games, but uh, I'm I'm a little on edge here because the history of the Canadian men's national team is there's a trip and a fall and losing two of your better players in Alfonso Davies, who's already been ruled out, and Estacchio, if indeed he doesn't play, are two major blows to this team. Yeah, it feels like because Estacchio is such an important piece, maybe they don't want to rule him out completely, kind of throwing a Hail Mary, if you will, that he will indeed play. Uh, Let's go to basketball. According to Shams, uh, Daryl Morey and the Sixers are waiting to deal Ben Simmons uh, to go after a big superstar, and reports suggest that that star might be James Harden. The Sixers are reportedly still engaging in talks, but will stand pat unless they're blown away at the trade deadline, which is just over two weeks away. Is Harden going to move again? I don't, I don't think that this Harden is the move that, like, the Nets are the favorites to win the NBA championship, and they're going to move James Harden for Ben Simmons? I, I, I don't see that happening. Some of the other moves are really interesting to me. Um, the Sixers have asked the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton and multiple first-round picks. Um, John Collins, multiple first-round picks from the Hawks with Atlanta taking on Tobias Harris and his money. Like, a lot of this is money, right? Like, Harden's owed $47 million next yeah, year. Yeah, a lot. And so it's a lot of <laughs> yeah, money. Decent uh, but I just, I, I don't see, especially if the Nets were to win, unless there's something bubbling underneath between... Harden, Durant, and Kyrie, which is entirely plausible given those three dudes, I don't see it happening. This is a conversation for for another day because it's a bigger conversation, but just my gut instinct when I heard about that story, like, are you going to get all tired of big-name stars just moving teams every well, There's, there's a certain few that I am tired of without a yeah. doubt. Harden's one of them. Yeah. Russell Westbrook is another one of them. Like, make it work where you are was something that I really respected. And when LeBron moved, I had to learn to accept this. Like this was a, this was the modern day NBA. This is the modern world in pro sports with free agency. Mm-hmm. But I, I had a ton of respect for the people who built it where they were. Yeah. Michael Jordan in Chicago, Larry Bird, although he went to different circumstances in Boston, Magic in LA, again, different circumstances. They had teams around them they could spend beyond a cap. Uh, I've come to accept this, but certain guys just seem unhappy anywhere they go. Maybe it's you and not the teams around. Yeah, ooh. Uh, you mentioned LeBron there. Uh, his Lakers are struggling, but they may be getting a big star back. They have upgraded Anthony Davis to probable for Tuesday's game against the Nets. Davis missed the last 17 games of the sprained MCL. Uh, can Davis's return save the Lakers season that has been a mess from jump? According to Kenny Smith, every Thursday, yes. <laughs> He's done talking about the Lakers. <laughs> yes. Anthony Davis is when you judge the Los Angeles Lakers for this year. I will um, pass it off to Kenny. I will divert to Kenny, and I will allow for us to judge the Lakers when the brow is back. If only he can stay healthy. 
that has been the issue his Without entire career. Without a doubt. And okay. if only Russell can learn to play with an entire team. <laughs> According to reports, uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association have reportedly made progress in talks after meeting face-to-face -to -face today. Hey, uh, there's still no deal, but with talks expected to continue tomorrow, we appear to be heading in the right direction to get baseball back. Does no. this news make you more optimistic? No, I knew. And, and, I'm not going to finish. I know that, that it's all coming to an <laughs> yeah, end right, right now. Yeah. No, no. I hate the back and forth. I think fans hate the back and forth. Tell me when it's done. They don't want to hear this playing in the press to uh, fancy some sort of favor that you're not effing this all up. Like, that's where we are with Major League Baseball and the Players Union. We're tired of it. We don't want to hear the back and forth. Tell us when it's done. But every time, and I don't hate on Passin. Passin's doing his job. I don't hate on any of the baseball reporters. They're doing their job. But when they play it in the media, I think they do themselves a disservice with people like me and fans. I don't think the fans want to hear about this give and take and back and forth and then playing to the court of public opinion. I think that pisses people off. I think if we didn't have to focus on it for work, I don't think I would pay attention to it at all until, yeah, until I knew that there were games, either games lost in spring training or the regular season, or if they came to a deal. Sometimes Sid and I would just say we're not talking about it anymore. Yeah. I mean, what is there to talk about? It's not even really a sports issue at this point. Uh, there is a Hall of Fame vote to talk about tomorrow. We'll nice. do that right here on the show. Do Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens get in? We'll discuss tomorrow. That does it for us. Rogers hometown hockey comes your way tonight, 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by the Canadians and the Wild. The Blues and Flames will be national on Sportsnet 1, while Monday Night Raw is on Sportsnet 360. You have yourself a great night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for watching, everybody.